we've been hearing all this grumbling for weeks. What do you mean Rosh Hashanah is so early this year? What do you mean Rosh Hashanah is so early this year? And um, so I know that you've probably all read that the last time that Rosh Hashanah began as early as September 5th was 1899. I guess you didn't all hear that. <laughs> That's what email's all about. 18, literally, 1899 was the last time Rosh Hashanah was this early. And I know that you're already looking forward in your Jewish calendars, and so you've all discovered that in fact, the first night of Hanukkah is Thanksgiving. That will virtually never happen again. Trust me, you won't be here to ever see that happen again. I don't care how many gratitude prayers you say, you are not going to be here to see Thanksgiving and Hanukkah come together again. So you better get the most of it this time and you know, stick a candle on your vegan turkeys or whatever it is that you... It's the Palisades what, that you all eat. So, it's going to be a really interesting high holidays, don't you think? Um, but I wanted to share with you one of my favorite rabbi experiences, <coughs> which was something that took place a, a few years ago. Dee and I were actually visiting a, a congregant in the hospital that was a woman who was pregnant and having a difficult pregnancy and as from time to time happens with some of our congregants, she was therefore forced to stay in the hospital literally for months prior to, to giving birth. Um, so, you know, as if any of you have been in that situation, I fortunately have not, but it drives most women nuts when they're lying in the hospital for all that time. So all of us go as often as we can and, and visit anyone in that circumstance. So Didi and I walked into this particular woman and, uh, t you know, just to share our greetings and keep her in good spirits. And she had a, a four-year-old son who was there who, of course, knew me because he was a part of our ECC, our Early Childhood Center. And um, when I walked in, he... He sort of looked up with these wide eyes and, and he whispered rather loudly to his mom, God is here. <laughs> and he brought his girlfriend. <laughs> you couldn't write this stuff, could you? Some of you probably could, but... Okay, so that's always like cute and good for the ego, but it, it got me, I was thinking about obviously this, that story uh, this year and it reminded me of, you know, this is the Jewish New Year and how when we're little and how we're, we grow up and we're taught by our parents, depending upon the religion in which we were raised, we have very different ideas of God, we have very different ideas about religion and the purpose of religion and ultimately really where life's meaning comes from. So it's Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. So I started thinking about all the different spiritual calendars that are out in the world, how we mark time differently. <coughs> we all know that for Christianity, this is 2013 Anno Domini. That is, it's the year of our Lord. 
It marks the birth of Jesus as the Son of God, and for Christianity here, the history of the world that matters began. And in the Muslim calendar, this year is 1434, because the Muslim religious calendar begins with 622 CE, which dates back to Muhammad's Hajira, the flight from Mecca to Medina. And so for Islam, here, there, really, the history of the world that matters begins. But we all know that in the Jewish calendar, this is now 5774, which celebrates not the birth of any particular savior, not a Jewish savior, or the birth of any Jewish redeemer, or even of a Jewish holiday or event in, in history, not even the exodus from Egypt, and not even standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and receiving the Torah. Rosh Hashanah, as you know, celebrates the birthday of the world itself, and more importantly, the birth of humanity within it. So actually, the Jewish calendar isn't about Jews at all. In fact, if you read the first 11 chapters of the Torah, our book of Genesis, our most sacred writings, you won't even find one Jew there in the first 11 chapters. Not Abraham or Sarah, not Isaac or Rebecca or Moses or Miriam or King David or Solomon. None. The Torah, our most sacred Jewish scripture, begins instead with Adam, Adam. Adam as the sort of archetype of humanity itself. Adam is not a Jew, sorry to tell you, but Adam is not a Jew. And his name, in fact, derives from the Hebrew Adama, which means earth, so it's really Adam the earthling. That's who Adam is. And so when our sages ask in the Talmud, well, from which place in the universe was this, this creature, this earth that he was made out of, taken? They answer, it wasn't from Athens or Rome or even our Jerusalem. They say, instead, it was gathered from the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And then they ask, well, what was the color of this clay that formed the first human being? And Jewish tradition says, well, it was uh, black and white and red and yellow. Rosh Hashanah does not celebrate the birth of any particular religion, not even ours. It celebrates creation, creation of the universe. And within that universe, the creation of all humanity in a way radically different from ever, ever before. Before, in the ancient world, humanity in every other sacred text was created to serve the gods. But in our text, we are created to serve one another. To serve one another. That's why I point out so often that the very first thing that the Torah says about human beings when we are first introduced to the creation of human beings in Genesis is that every human being is created but Salam Elohim in God's image. Whatever gender, whatever race, whatever religion, whatever language, whatever culture, whatever ethnicity, black and white, Arab and Jew, gay and straight, our God, our God, in our Torah, creates every human being with divine potential. And of course, our God is everyone's God. And perhaps that's why one of the most pervasive themes of my entire 37 years as a rabbi has always been simply this. There is more that unites us 
than there is that divides us. It's more that unites us than there is that divides us. And it's ours to choose every single day, every one of us, to act in such a way so that as a result of our being here on this planet, on this earth, there is more good than bad. There are more blessings than curses. Ours to choose over and over every day. And when the rabbis asked, why did God create Adam singly by himself, one person first, and not as part of a a family? The sages answered so that no one could say, my ancestors are superior to yours. More that unites us than divides us. That's why our prayers begin, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu, blessed are you Adonai, our God, but continue Melech Olam, ruler of the universe, so that we never succumb to the, the arrogance of the belief that somehow God is ours and not theirs. Melech Olam, the divine that fills the entire universe, the source of all creation the very spiritual ground of being upon which the entire world is founded, more that unites us than divides us. My teacher, Rabbi Harold Scholweis, once called us a small people with a big idea. So when Egypt, by 3000 BCE, had already built its pyramids, and the world was filled with huge empires, we Jews were a tiny little band of nomads milling around the upper regions in your case, the southern regions, of the Arabian (laughs) desert. And when this small people finally settled down on the land, it was only about 150 miles in length and only 50 miles wide. But we cast a giant shadow. And we embraced an agenda that literally transformed the world forever. We taught the world. We taught the world that what human beings say matters. As in the book of Proverbs, that teaches life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we taught the world that what human beings do matters by introducing the Ten Commandments and all the other 613 mitzvot and therefore the very idea of right and wrong into the world. And we taught the world that every human being matters because every human being is simply created but Salam Elohim in the image of God. And we must never forget that lesson and never deny that lesson and never reject that lesson, whether they are friends or enemies we're talking about. I know you've all heard my favorite Midrash many times because I've been here 28 years, so... But you're going to hear it again. My favorite Midrash is that famous story of the two guys who are out in the little rowboat in the middle of the ocean. And then one of them picks up a hand drill and begins to drill a hole in the bottom of the boat. And of course, his partner freaks out and starts screaming, what are you doing? Stop drilling that. Stop drilling. And the guy with the drill looks over and says, well, what business is it of yours? After all, I'm only drilling under my seat. (laughs) What a brilliant midrash, because everyone laughs and goes, duh. Of course, we're all in the same boat, literally and figuratively. Of course, nobody doubts that. We all know that. We just ignore it too often in life. And I think I keep repeating that midrash because it seems that the world keeps needing to learn the same lesson over and over again. In fact, if you open the newspaper today instead of the prayer book, you might read that of the seven billion plus human beings on our planet today, 
22% live below the poverty line. 22%. And more than half of the world's people, that means over 3.5 billion people, live on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. And practically everyone stood up when I said, have you flown somewhere in the last year? Because that's our life. It's hard to get how the rest of the world lives. 1.3 billion human beings have no access to safe drinking water, which is why most children who die in this world die, simply because of lack of clean drinking water. 2.6 billion live without elementary sanitation. 840 million are severely malnourished and go to bed hungry every single night. And 23,000 children will die today and tomorrow and the next day, as they do every day. That's like one child every four seconds in our world from starvation or lack of shelter, bad water, preventable poverty. We are all in the same boat. More that unites us than divides us. There's a reason that the Talmud teaches us that to be kosher, a synagogue ought to have a window. So that even in the midst of our most sacred days like these, it really only matters if we take these prayers in our prayer book and the promises of the kind of person that we're going to become in the year ahead out of the synagogue, out into the real world where it really matters. That's the point of these prayers. That is why we are here. For that, we have been created. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once wrote, few are guilty, but all are responsible. So Jewish. We can all feel guilty because, in fact, we're all responsible. We are all responsible, indeed, to protect each other, to protect each other, to stand by each other, to stand with each other, especially those most vulnerable in our society, those with no voice, those with no power, those with no means to help themselves, those of another color or another faith or another language. That is the true measure of the quality of the character of our society how we treat those most vulnerable. Our enemies, our prisoners, our homeless, our hungry, the millions who remain indentured, exploited, enslaved throughout the world even today in 2013. So look around for a moment at who we are, this community, this congregation. I'm always struck by something that Alice Walker wrote in The Color Purple. She had one of her characters say, have you ever found God in church? I never did. I just found a bunch of folks hoping for God to show. Any God I ever felt in church, I brought in with me. And I think all the other folks did too. They came to church to share God, not to find God. And that's why we're here. Not to find God, but to share the God we brought in with us the God of our hearts, the God of our minds, the God of our passions, the God of our conscience, that that still quiet voice within that we know is how God talks to human beings. Within ourself, our conscience, every single one of us, every single day. The God in us that knows who we are and what we are capable of being 
and capable of saying and capable of doing this year. That spark of the sacred within each of us desperately trying to become a brilliant flame to light our way into the future together, to light up the world. When we built our beautiful sanctuary in the Palisades, I know I say this every year, but if you only come to the high holidays here at the Wadsworth, you should come over and see the synagogue sometime. It's on sunset in the Palisades. Beautiful building. When we built our beautiful synagogue in the Palisades, I chose a quotation from the book of Exodus to be inscribed on the dedication stone outside, which is still there on Muskingum. It says, Asuli Mikdash v'shachanti betocham. Build me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. What it doesn't say is that I might dwell within it, the building, but among them, within them, the congregation, the people, because that's always where we find God. That's where we find the divine. That's where we find holiness, betocham, within community, within ourselves. And it probably won't surprise you to learn that as I get closer and closer to the time of my official retirement as senior rabbi, this coming June, I know lots of you think I already retired, but I'm still here until June. So people keep sending me these kind of lame stories about retirement and old people. They're so lame, I'm going to share two of them with you. They're, so, they're as old as I am, these things they're sending me. Like, you know, the old retired guy who's driving down the freeway and his cell phone rings, and contrary to my advice in a previous High Holiday Sermon, he answers it, and it's his wife freaking out and urgently warning him, Herman, I just heard on the news that there's a car going the wrong way on the 405, so please watch out and be careful. And of course, Herman says, no kidding, it's not just one car, I can see hundreds of them. <laughs> Or my favorite is that the old retired couple, this is for Didi, my old retired couple who are both having problems remembering things. That's why I write things down. You don't have to write things down. I write them down because I forget them. So they go to the doctor and they get a checkup and the doctor says, you know, the best thing you can do is simply write things down so you won't forget them. Okay, later that night, they're watching TV and the old retired man gets up from his chair. Want anything while I'm in the kitchen, he asks. Sure, will you get me a, a bowl of ice cream? No problem. Maybe you should write it down so you remember, she says. No, I can remember it. Okay, it's a bowl of ice cream. Okay, well then I'd like some strawberries on it, she says. Okay, maybe you should write that down so you don't forget it. He gets a bit cross and he says, I can remember that, it's simple. Bowl of strawberries and ice cream, okay? Yes, you know what, I'd also like some whipped cream. Okay, now that's a lot to remember, so you better write it down. Even more irritated, he says, I don't have to write it down. I can remember ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. Ice cream, strawberries, and whipped cream, okay? For God's sake. She says, okay. So he goes into the kitchen. 20 minutes later, he comes back. And as most of you probably know, he hands his wife a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> Wasn't a Jewish retired couple. So she stares at this plate for a moment, and she shakes her head, and she looks up at him, and she says, where's my toast?
so speaking of old age, I read about a study in which 50 people over the age of 95 <coughs> excuse me, were asked, if you could live your life over again, what might you do differently? It was open-ended, so they got lots of diverse answers, except for there were three that constantly, constantly reoccurred over and over again. And those three were, one, I would reflect more upon what really matters, and two, I would risk more, and three, I would do more things that would live on after I am dead. Mark Twain once said that the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. It's the day to remember why. The purpose of Rosh Hashanah is to remind us that it's a new year with our life story still not fully written. And so we have a chance again this year to write our own story the way we want it to be, to leave behind what we want to leave behind, to inspire those we want to inspire, to begin again, to remember that it is what we say and what we do that can really matter. I can't even count the number of times in all my years as a rabbi that someone, adults and teenagers alike, have come by and in one way or another shared their anguish over wrestling with the fundamental question of, you know, the meaning of life itself. What's it all mean? Particularly when someone dies in the family and they go, so what's it all mean? What are we here for? Many of us, in the middle of the night, have the same question. What do our lives really mean? What's it all about? What constitutes a life well lived? And when you search the wisdom literature of literally every culture, from ancient sages to contemporary writers and philosophers, nearly every great thinker seems to come up with the same answer. William James said it, the greatest use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Martin Luther King Jr. celebrated this year the 50th anniversary of that famous march. Martin Luther King Jr. said it. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Even Leo Tolstoy once said it. The sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Yes, that has always been the ultimate meaning of Jewish life as well. It's the foundation of Jewish ethics, the very point of Jewish civilization itself, to live our lives in such a way that if everyone else were to emulate us, to emulate our behavior, we would all be living in a world filled with justice and compassion and love and peace. That's what constitutes a life well lived. As parents, our challenge is to be the kind of parent, to be the kind of adult we want our children to grow up to be. As husbands and wives, to be the kind of partner we would like our children to marry. As individuals, it's to be the kind of human being that our community is proud to claim as its own. So I'll finish with one quick story. It's one of my favorite stories that many of you have heard before, but I say it anyway. Because it's sweet. It's about that grandfather who always seemed to know the right thing to say. One uh, Thanksgiving after they'd finished their 
turkey and this Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving and Hanukkah together, and they lit their Hanukkah candles. And they were so confused, they couldn't figure out what religion they were either. The grandfather turns to his granddaughter and says, oh, we have a wishbone. Let's both make a wish and pull the wishbone. You know how much fun that is sometimes. But unfortunately, the over-eager granddaughter, so eager to have her wish comes true, pulls too quickly, and you know what happens? It snaps off in her hand, and she's left with this little teeny piece, and that's it. And she lost the wish. So her eyes start swelling and welling up with tears, and of course her grandfather, who always knows the right thing to do and the right thing to say, simply puts his arms around her and hugs her close and says, don't cry, honey, don't cry. You don't have to worry about a thing. I know that your wish will come true because my wish was that you would get yours. Well, this is my 28th Rosh Hashanah as rabbi of Kehillat Israel. And I want you to know that for every single one of those 28 years, my wish has always been that every one of you would get your New Year's wishes as well. So live a life that matters this year. The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. And that has been my great privilege as a rabbi these past 28 years at KI. And that's what constitutes, for me, a life well lived, or for any of us. So Shana Tova Mituka, may it be a very sweet and loving and beautiful and bountiful and healthy year for you and your families, filled with joy, celebration, with gratitude and with love. Can you hear that song?